Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It is a beautiful day in Starkville, Mississippi. It's cool. It's sunny. It's not windy. It is fabulous. Wish we had this kind of weather all the time. You got some range in what you can wear, right? I mean, if you want to wear shorts today, you can. You want to wear jeans, you're not going to be uncomfortable. It's great. Hope the weather is wonderful weather you are today. It's, uh, it's, another, it's another week of college baseball season. Spring practice is now wrapped up. We're going to talk about some spring practice stuff on Friday. I'm going to kind of give you guys, uh, you know, some, I guess, some thoughts about who needs to do what and how do you kind of step up, what happens here, we're kind of moving forward. But uh, your Mississippi State football coach is now on the road as the spring evaluation period has been open now for a little bit, but we wanted to get through spring practice. And a reminder, too, as I shared on Bo Bound show, uh, still got those 10 evaluation days that we are uh, having to serve that penalty for as the final sanction for the Tudorgate scandal. You would say, Steve, I can't believe we're still dealing with that. Well, there was no in-person recruiting in 2020. There was no spring evaluation period then. There wasn't a spring evaluation period in 2021. So those 10 days have to be served now. And as it works, too, it's important to understand it's not 10 days total. Like every time, let's say for an example, let's say we have nine coaches on the road today. All right, that counts as nine evaluation days. So it's not maybe the imposition that you think, but it's still something to consider. And, and most years, you don't even use all your evaluation days. That always work out that way. So Going to be, you know, I guess a little bit of a handicap, but uh, not anything that should slow recruiting down. I, I share with you guys, too, I don't really know how good a year it is in state this year. You know, this time last year, we're starting to really talk about Trevion Williams, and he ends up being the number one defensive player in the state of Mississippi last year. You know, some guys last year that uh, kind of rose to prominence post-spring evaluation and into the summer camp sessions, and uh, there's some guys out there like that. You need to get out and go see some guys and see if they're as big as they're listed, if they're as fast as listed. There's a lot of that that goes on. Spring evaluation period is very, very important. I think one of the reasons, and I shared this you know, back in 2020, I think one of the reasons the transfer portal is so full right now is because there have been so many misses. You have a lot of guys out there, too, that uh, you know they may have picked a school kind of based on limited information, and so now they're there, and it's like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Then the players get there, and you're not quite as talented as, and so as a result, they're looking to transfer. And so there's some of that that happens. Of course, Mississippi State benefits from some of that. As, as I mentioned earlier this week, you know, Hunter Washington, former four-star, 
uh, went to Florida State. Now, he may have been a tad overrated because he's not the ideal corner. He's more of a squat corner. I think eventually he becomes a nickel. I think that's where he fits. I think he's a guy that needs to play the ball in front of him. He is not in the same vein as Martin Emerson or Manuel Forbes. Not that long, lean cornerback that Darcel McBath is really targeted. I think ideally what you'd like for him to do is be, be the nickel. He is a guy that can come up and run sport and really hit you. But here's the deal, too. This is the positive side of the portal. Is This is a guy that would not have really shown Mississippi State much interest out of high school. And that state recruited him out of high school, too. We did offer him out of high school, and he goes to Florida State. Of course, he picked up a ton of offers, Alabama, Texas, Texas A&M. Those are the offers that he claimed. Of course, we can't validate that. But uh, 30-plus offers out of high school, and so you get him. Kind of the same situation with Makai Polk. Makai Polk was not even really looking at Mississippi State at a high school. But he was recruited by Mike Leach and the staff, and of course he enters the portal, and because you've got an, a pre-existing relationship, you're able to go get him. Where would we have been last year without Makai Polk? A lot of people complain about the transfer portal. I've got some issues with it as well, but there are some positives to every bit of this. I look at Jalen Green, you know, former five-star player too out of Texas. You know, Jason Washington, of course, had a relationship with him uh, during the recruiting process when he ultimately chose Texas. And uh, so when he goes in the portal, you've got a connection there. That's one of the reasons I think it's important for us to, you know, to have number one, we've got to have Bulldogs on staff, got to have some guys that know and recruit Mississippi well. But you've got to have some guys that have some experience outside the normal recruiting footprint because, you know, college football and college athletics, as we know, is changing. We're going to talk about some potential changes much later in the show. Excited to talk about those things. Some big things that could change. And and I think for the betterment of college athletics, I think we're kind of antiquated in our thinking. And uh, as you guys may be aware, Mark Emmert announced his retirement yesterday. I think that is a great thing for college athletics. I don't think that Mark Emmert has been a great leader. I think the enforcement process has been an absolute joke. You put out a penalty matrix. You don't follow that. Uh, these NCAA investigations have kind of lingered on to the point that there's just, you know, schools basically go through a sometimes three-year process to be investigated. It takes forever for them to know their sanctions. I think there is a better way to kind of streamline that process. And I know you want to be thorough, and I know you want to do a good job to make sure that uh, no stone is left unturned. But the reality of it is these things take way too long. You know, what Mississippi State went through with uh, basically a negotiated settlement for the Tudorgate thing is probably more in line with what needs to happen. It's like, okay, here's the facts of the case. Here is what we agreed to. We believe these things happened. You guys agree these things happened. And so let's negotiate the penalty. And then as a result, Mississippi State avoids a bowl ban. Uh, we're very fortunate to have a guy like Bracky Brett running the compliance department. There's a lot of people out there that don't understand how difficult that job is. But if Bracky Brad is not your director of compliance, Mississippi State does not have that negotiated resolution about the Tudorgate scandal. I mean, look at what Ole Miss went through. And even though I thought the scholarship limitations were not nearly as severe as they should have been, the reality of it is, is that part of the penalty for Ole Miss was having to operate for basically three years under that cloud of suspicion. You know, fair or unfair, and of course anything that happens to them, it's of a negative variety. It's something that uh, Mississippi State people enjoy, but it shouldn't be that convoluted. You should be able to get it done quicker. And I think that's for the betterment of everybody involved because by the time these sanctions are levied, a lot of times the, the offending players and coaches have moved on to something else. 
So there's got to be a better way. But Mark Emmert resigning, I think, is big. I think his inaction uh, when it came to name, image, and likeness is a disaster. I think the way that they have constructed the transfer portal is a disaster. I am in favor of the transfer portal. I am in favor of immediate eligibility. I am not in favor of free agency in college athletics. Just not. Maybe you disagree. But I think that the steps that uh, I have heard here as of late, read a very interesting article uh, by our own Ross Dellinger uh, earlier today, and I'll, I'll share with you my thoughts on that a little bit later in the show. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I know you do too. Uh, let me encourage you, if you hadn't done so, go and check those guys out sooner rather than later. They're waiting for you. <laughs> They've done a good job kind of preparing a great place to eat, a great place to go recreate with friends and family, and three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Uh, I love Bulldog Burger Company. May even eat there this evening. We'll see how things go. I like going in there. I know what I know the quality of experience I'm going to have, and that's the thing, too, that I love the most about Bulldog Burger Company is consistency. I know... I'm going to get great food at a great price and get great service and a great atmosphere every time I go, no matter which location I go to. Go check them out today. Maybe have the Boneyard Burger of choice, the Pimentology Add Bacon. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer and maybe get that chocolate shake to go. You deserve it. Put up with a lot of nonsense. Treat yourself a little bit. Go to Bulldog Burger Company today, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right. Uh, We didn't win the ballgame last night. And that's disappointing. And so, and, and let me say this too. I think it's important to understand. I would never trade the governor's game for an SEC win. It's, I mean, SEC weekends are just simply more important. Uh, the governor's game, in many respects, is kind of an exhibition, but it does negatively impact the RPI. And so, a lot of the, the, the ground that State had made up an RPI over the weekend, you lose in the governor's game. Uh, so, now that makes the rest of these SEC games all the more important. We had talked about a couple weeks ago that State needed to go no worse than 3-1 and one in non-conference. It looks like there's a good chance that happens now. You beat um, Ole Miss on the weekend but lose the governor's game. That makes you 1-1 one one in your last two non-conference games. And then, of course, you've got Samford and North Alabama coming up. Got to win those two. Those are sub-150 RPI teams. You just simply can't afford to lose those games. Uh, so that's kind of where we are right now. Let's take a look back at what happened last night. The first thing I'll say right out of the gate, Mikey Tepper didn't get off to a great start, but then he settled and, and had perhaps his best outing as a Bulldog. But um, you know, Ole Miss gets up early, and for the first time in four games, Mississippi State did not give up a home run. There were no home runs hit in the ball game, and Ole Miss had hit at least one and three consecutive first innings against us. So that didn't happen last night, but uh, we still kind of aided in our own demise early and then figured it out from there. We get a very lengthy at bat against uh, Justin Bench and give Justin Bench some credit. I thought he was really the difference in the ball game last night. He played in center field because McCants was uh, uh, was not with the team due to a family issue, according to Ole Miss officials. But Bench gets out there and really battles and gets into a uh, you know two two count there and just battles and battles and battles and ultimately we walk him and then uh, Gonzalez triples to right center, scores the run, and then he goes obviously to third. And Elko with a ground ball to the right side on an 0-2 count. I think we got a little too much to play there. 0-2 count, back-to-back swinging strikes. You get the ground ball to the right side, the run scores. It's 2-0. Good hitting there from Tim Elko. Good productive out there. Graham then singles back up the middle, takes second on a wild pitch. We get Harris to strike out swinging, 
and then Alderman is hit by the pitch, and Leatherwood grounds out the second. So you look at all of that, and you think, man, we issued the two free, free passes here and uh, give up a triple, and it's a 2 nothing ball game, and uh, could have been much worse. Could have been worse. And, and maybe the pressure at the moment got to temper a little bit, but I thought he really bounced back and did a good job the rest of the way. All right, bottom of first. Stayed even the ball game up here, and you start thinking this is going to be a long game. Uh, they threw McDaniel, who was a former weekend guy for them. He is, there's a reason on the weekend now he hadn't been very consistent. He was not good early in this ball game, but he really settled uh, maybe the second time through the order. Uh, Jaeger grounds out to third, and Cam James strikes out looking. Cam is kind of scuffling right now, and I suspect that we'll see him break out this weekend, but we need him. We need Cam James. Uh, Luke Hancock then walks on four pitches. Tanner walks on five, so it's back-to-back two-out walks. And you're thinking, okay, let's at least push a run across here. There is a wild pitch that allows both runners to move into scoring position. And then Hunter Hines hits a little dribbler that basically serves as a bunt. Uh, Burford, the third baseman from Ole Miss, comes up. He has no play at first. And rather than just eating the baseball and letting the run score, he makes a wild throw at first, which allows both runs to score. And now it's a 2-2 ball game. And, of course, uh, Hunter Hines, uh, not the most fleet of foot, but due to the placement of this little swing and bunt here, there just simply wasn't a play at first. And uh, Burford tries to do too much there and gives us a run, which makes it 2-2. So both teams, you're not off to a great start in the first inning. Cumbeston flies out of center field, and he absolutely barreled up this baseball, kind of a you know indicator of the kind of night that Brad's going to have, even though he didn't have a whole lot to show for it. Uh, Brad's a guy that you know swings the bat pretty well and uh, pretty much locked in right now. It's tough to hit home runs at uh, Trustmark Park. But, uh, you know, Brad on a three-and-one count really gives one a ride to deep center there and, uh, you know, bench uh, runs it down. But uh, Brad's pretty locked in now, really seeing the baseball well. I think we'll have a good weekend out of him too. All right. Tepper goes back out for the top of second. Really great inning here. And he had a couple lengthy at-bats that he could have kind of given up on, but he didn't. He maintained some focus. And that hadn't always been the case with him. I'm still high on him. This guy has very electric stuff. When he doesn't walk people, he's, a, he's especially good. All right, he gets Burford to strike out swinging on a full count and gets Chatney to strike out swinging on a 2-2 count. That was a good at bat there, too. And again, you know, it's a 2-2 count. You get a foul ball, you get the K swinging. Quickly, two down, and then we get benched to ground out to second. So one, two, three inning. Uh, so that's now four consecutive retired by Tepper as we go to the bottom of second. We get a, a leadoff walk to Kellum Clark. Then there is the sack bunt from Jess Davis. And that's an element that I think that he brings. I th- to, honestly, Jess Davis needs to be the center fielder every day. That's my honest opinion. I've shared that with you guys on the show before. We've kind of done it by committee. I think, number one, Jess is an elite defender. But also, two, he is very fleet of foot. He's a guy that can bunt. And he has actually hit some baseballs really hard here as of late. Uh, nearly hit a home run last night. Nearly hit one uh, at uh, University Field over the weekend at Oxford. Didn't work out for him. But I think that uh, we're, we're beginning to see him maybe take charge of the job in center. So he gets a sack bunt down. Clark goes to second. Leggett then walks. Now all of a sudden we got runners at first and second, nobody out. A chance to take the lead here. RJ flies out to right field. Clark tags and takes third, and then Cam fouls out to right field. You know, again, we talk about time we base hits. You've got traffic on the bases in back to back innings, and uh, really all you're able to manage is a little dribbler. 
you know, Hunter, I wouldn't like, like Hunter Hines rip one in the gap there. I mean, so two innings in, we've got McDaniel basically giving us base runners. He walked four the first two innings, and uh, two of those guys score. We don't get anybody here in the second. That proved to be very costly later in the ballgame. Meanwhile, Mikey Tapper's really settled in. Another one, two, three inning, which takes his streak to seven straight. Retired seven straight there. You get a foul out to the catcher from Gonzalez. That's always a big out. Gonzalez is Ole Miss's best player. Elko then flies out to right field on a full count. Graham strikes out swinging. I'm not a big Graham fan. I know people are really high on him. I just don't like his makeup. I don't think he has a true position. I think he takes a lot of bad swings. But I tell, make no mistake about it. You make a mistake to him, he'll burn you for it. All right, bottom of third. State also one, two, three. McDaniel now kind of settles in here. And he's facing three, four, five. It's not like uh, he's facing the bottom third of the order. Hancock flies out to right. Tanner flies out to center. Then Hines strikes out swinging. Uh, top of four. Tepper's retired streak goes to eight as he gets Calvin Harris to ground out to second. If I had told you that not only would Mikey Tepper pitch into the fourth, but he would have a stretch there retiring eight in a row, you'd have been shocked, right? And that's not an indictment on his ability. It's just he hadn't been very consistent. But we got the start we needed out of Mikey Tepper. Guy did a great job. And I think you can feel maybe a little bit better about his placing. Maybe this is a confidence-building opportunity for him where he can go out there and eat up some innings for us on a weekend. We need him. Then we walk Alderman on four pitches. And then we walk Leatherwood on, on six pitches. Five pitches, excuse me. So it's like you retire eight in a row, then you walk back-to-back hitters. And rather than give in, we roll up a, ground, a double play ball here, 5-4-3 uh, double play to get it out of the inning. So – Pretty nice effort from Tepper. Maybe you could have pushed him for another more, but, uh, you know, it seems like maybe he was beginning to fade a little bit here. But uh, the guy gives you a winning effort. At this point, he leaves the ball game. I'm thinking Mississippi State's going to win. Well, we don't. Uh, but uh, I, I can't be critical of uh, Mikey Tepper. Now, offensively, again, McDaniel's kind of got a stifled. Again, now all of a sudden he stops walking people, and all of a sudden we don't have traffic on the bases. Cumbus fouls out to the catcher. Clark flies out to center, and Davis strikes out swinging. One, two, three. And, and really, you know, that's Cumbus' only at bat that, uh, that he didn't absolutely hammer a baseball. Again, not an, anything to show for it, but uh, the guy is clearly uh, locked in right now. All right, top of five, we bring in Lane Forsythe. This inning proved to be the difference in the ballgame. Now, the thing you think about, it's like, and I, I tweeted out in pregame, it's like, okay, Lane didn't take in and out with the infielders, which tells me he's likely to pitch. Well, he does here. I just don't know if this is the best chance to bring him in. Now I can say, well, when do you want to do it? Well, this is a guy that may be able to help us, especially if we get into a regional format and we have to play you know, deeper into the tournament. You know, Lane's probably got to go out there and get you an inning or two. And then people say, well, he should mop up or whatever. You know, here's the thing with Lane. It has really been feast or famine. You know, he gives up a solo home run, very first hitter that he sees, settles down, gets three. The next ballgame against Jackson State, we walk a guy, give up a two-run tank, and then we get the next three. And so, you know, we shouldn't be trading a run or two for three outs. And I know Lane's doing the best he can. We bring him in here, and um, he didn't miss many bats, if any. Not It's clearly he's only had three appearances. This is his worst one. And obviously, too, you know, first one against an SEC team, especially a team with their backs against the wall. But uh, you give up a single to left from Chatagnier, then bench flies out to left. I guess he got one out. Gonzalez then doubles to right field, chasing Chatagnier to third. There's two runners in scoring position, and Elko absolutely hammered the ball in left field. 
uh, di- it didn't get off the off the field very high. It just absolutely hammers, and that two-run score makes it 4-2. And then Kevin Graham doubles to right field, and Elko scores. And it was basically a hit-and-run deal there. They send Elko, you know, the speedster there. They send him from first, and then Graham, you know, rips it. And when you know that a guy's going to be around the plate, you can afford to do that. I mean, it's a full count there, so you know that uh, he's not going to throw anything low, right? I mean, he's not going to be out of his zone there. So pretty well executed there by Ole Miss. And uh, in the event that it is a ball, Elko is not hung out to dry there because it's a full count. But uh, you don't want to get deep in counts with these guys. And that it. That, and it ended the outing for Forsyth. It's now a 5-2 game. There's plenty of ball game left, but it did feel rather significant. We bring in Cam Tuller. And like all of you, I never know what to expect from Cam. I, I don't. And then what does he do? He gives us the best performance of his career here at Mississippi State. One, two, three inning here. Uh, we do have a wild pitch to open, which is always great. And then Harris strikes out swinging. Alderman strikes out swinging. So a pair of Ks there. And it makes perfect sense, too, you know, with all these left-handers coming up in the order that um, that you'd bring Cam in. And this is probably the time to do it. I just kind of question the wisdom of bringing Forsyth in, you know, to face the top of the order. It's like I know he gets shot in the eight in the nine hole, but that, that's a guy that's been around too. I mean, he's kind of hiding there in the nine hole. I just I, I may have brought Forsyth in later in the ballgame. And again, hindsight's always 2020. You know, I, I get it. But it's a five-two ball game. All right, bottom of fifth. Uh, Leggett strikes out swinging. Jaeger then singles to left field. So we finally get somebody back on the bases for the first time in three innings. James flies out, fly out to short right. Chatney runs it down, then Hancock grounds out to second. So, again, in these middle innings, I understand, you know, pitching is always a concern, but we're not putting any pressure on them offensively. We're not doing anything to make them uncomfortable. All right, top of six, Cam gives up a leadoff double after a lengthy at bat with Leatherwood, double down the left field line. What does he do? He gives you three punchies. We get Wood to strike out swinging. Wood had come in for Burford as a defensive replacement the inning before. Chaudhier strikes out swinging, and then Bench strikes out looking. So, already I'm thinking, you know what, hey, if Cam can eat up an inning or two, this is really good. Keep us in the ballgame. Keep us right where we are. Bottom of six, they walk Logan Tanner, and that ended the night for Drew McDaniel, who was really good. I mean, other than some, you know, some control issues in the first two innings, I mean, hey, you can't hate on the kid. We didn't do much against him. I thought he did a really good job getting some depth on the breaking ball, kind of keeping us off balance, getting us to roll over things. And so bottom of six, they pull him. And then Nichols comes in, a freshman. We saw him over the weekend. He gets Hines to strike out swinging. Cumbus then absolutely murders a ball to left center. That ball is out of a lot of parks. Wasn't out of trust mark. Off the bat, everybody stands and yells and thinks that thing is gone for a two-run shot. It's run down by Graham at the wall. And this is when they have the, uh, the controversy here. Logan Tanner had passed second base. He did touch it coming back, which is what you're required to do. He touched it coming back. Ole Miss appeals to second, and they call him out. And there's no replay there. And here is my issue with all of this. Is number one, how would anybody have known to check that? And number two, that's the only call you have to make there as a second base guy. That's, that, that's your call. You have a runner there. That's your call. And I've seen the picture. Somebody shared that with me on Twitter. LT touched the bag. They called him out. Lamontis comes out to complain. There is no resolve there. 
And I, you know, listen, we're going to have a runner at first with two outs. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a difference in the ball game. But uh, they basically took an out from us. The officials did. You got to do a better job there. And again, you know, it's a loud out and it's a long out. But again, I think it shows that how well Cumbus is seeing the baseball. Off the bat, I thought it was gone too. Ball didn't carry well at night at Trustmark Park. But uh, I don't know that Brad Cumbus can hit that baseball any harder. So 5-2. A top of seven, Cam Tuller continuing to roll here. Gets Gonzalez to ground out the short. Elko then strikes out swinging. Graham strikes out swinging. That's 3-4-5. Or 2-3-5-4, excuse me. I mean, that you know, that's – this is the heart of the, of the Rebel order here. And Cam Tuller up there slicing and dicing. I'm here for it. Bottom of seven, Clark grounds out the first. Davis flies out the right, and this is the one that he nearly hit for a home run on a two-0 count. And then Leggett strikes out swinging. Uh, so, not much for the Bulldogs to show there. We're starting to run out of outs. Ben Van Cleve comes in to pinch hit for Calvin Harris and uh, kind of meekly grounds out the short there. Alderman strikes out looking. Leatherwood grounds out the short. So, again, Cam, Cam out here punching up zeros. Bottom of eight. Jaeger flies out to left. James grounds out to short. And Hancock battles and battles and battles on the full count. Pokes one through the right side there for a single. And then Logan Tanner flies out to center. And, again, this is one under normal circumstances probably gets down. Ball stayed up a little bit. Justin Bench got a great jump on the ball, runs it down in the gap. Could have made a huge difference in the ball game. And it was a lot of that last night. Give Justin Bench some credit. I mean, no relation to Johnny Bench, but give him some credit. Uh, and with McCants being out, I thought he played really well. I thought in, in many respects he was kind of the difference of the game. I think their outfield played pretty good defense last night. Uh, we put some balls in play, just didn't have much to show for it. All right, top of nine, we bring in Drew Talley in place of Cam Tuller. And Drew Talley goes out there and gives you a good job. Get a strikeout swinging, then Chatney pops out the second, and then Ben strikes out swinging. So, you know, the relief effort for Mississippi State, you know, with the Lane Forsyth experiment withstanding, and I'm not being critical of Lane Forsyth. That guy's just trying to help us. He's just trying to find a way to make a contribution. We're, we're, we're trying to find answers in the bullpen, and maybe we're starting to find some. But this is not a criticism of Lane Forsyth. He just didn't have a good inning. And it ultimately cost us the ball game. And he knows this. But the bottom line is, is we got to go swing the bats. We didn't. We make it interesting here in the bottom of nine. Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. And then Cumbus, again, uh, I'm sure Johnson from Ole Miss don't want to see Brad Cumbus ever again. Brad got under it a little bit, but he absolutely hammers the ball to left field. Nearly gets it out of there. With two outs, Kellum Clark could have easily just said, let me go up here and take a selfish swing. He didn't. He walks. We get a runner on base. And uh, it's basically defensive indifference here. You know, he takes – he's still second, but they're not trying to get the runner there. And then Jess Davis hits the ball really hard back toward the middle. Chaudinier lays out, makes a play for it. There is no play with Jess Davis coming down the line. Probably should have just ate it. But he throws it, and Jess slides headfirst into the bag. That's the kind of guy he is. I want that guy in the lineup. Now you've got runners on the corners with two down. Tyne run comes to the plate. You're just trying to, wait, trying to find a way to advance the inning here. Siebert comes in to pinch hit for Leggett. You're trying to set up the righty-lefty matchup here. Davis still second. Again, that's a defensive indifference. You don't get credit for a stolen base. The only run that really matters at this point is one at the plate. And they get Siebert to strike out swinging. And listen, he, I think he's hitting 270 before this. And I, I, people ask, well, I don't understand why we pulled leg. 
Well, you want to put a righty-lefty matchup so it's more advantageous to your guy. It's not like Leggett had a big ball game, too. I mean, I, I agree with the decision. It just didn't work out. So we lose ball game 5-2. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Take a quick look at the numbers. Uh, Mississippi State, two runs on four hits. Ole Miss, five runs on seven hits. And, of course, uh, you know, some of those free passes uh, hurt us. But by and large, they hit the baseball. You know, not as well as, as, uh, as we did over the weekend. They did enough to win the ballgame. They did. Drew McDaniel credited with the win at 4-2. Lane Forsyth tag with loss. Brennan Johnson gets the save. Um, so, let's look inside the numbers here. Mississippi State, those few hits were scattered – R.J. Yeager with a single, Luke Hancock with a single, Hunter Hines with a single, and Jess Davis with a single. And if you look at these four hits, too, you know, R.J. Yeager had probably the best hit of the day. You know, he lined that single over, over shortstop into left field. Everything else was a bit of an adventure. Luke Hancock, you know, pulls one through the right side, ground ball. Hunter Hines 
hits a little dribbler out past the mound on the third baseline, and then uh, Jess Davis hits the ball pretty well back toward the middle shot. He makes a great play on it, but um, you know, basically ground balls. You know, the one line drive for a for a single, the rest of them are ground balls out there. And sometimes you can hit a hard ground ball through the through the infield, but uh, we just we just didn't hit it well. When we left seven on base, Ole Miss leaves five. You know, but uh, you know, the bottom line is, I have I've read with great interest, and I guess maybe maybe we know a different game. Uh, and I agree with Coach Chris Simonis here. And I've been I'll be honest with you, when I don't agree with him, I tell you, like I don't agree with bringing Lane Forsyth in that situation to face the heart of the the order. And maybe that decision was already made. Uh, it's like, hey, no matter what the score of the ball game, we want to get Lane an inning here in the fifth. We want to get Mikey to give us four. I don't I don't know. I don't know if that was the plan, but I disagree with the decision. I think you got to make a change there, too, too. And, and who knew that Cam Tuller was going to be like that? I mean, you, you wouldn't know. And maybe Mikey was tired. Maybe Mikey couldn't go anymore. He's primarily a reliever. Maybe we didn't want to push him with all the considering all the injuries we've had. Maybe we don't want to extend him there in that situation. Uh, you know, I can't answer that. But uh, I, I, I kind of question bringing Forsythe in in a tie game in the fifth. But – when it comes to hitting, you don't go out there and say, okay, when you've been trained to basically swing hard in case you hit it, you don't go up there and then choke up and measure your swing. I know people are like, oh, you just want to put it in play. Well, we're putting it in play. And that, that, that's the thing. We're putting it in play. And, it's like, and, I, and one of the dumbest things that I have read is like when we, we lost the game to Auburn, when Brad rips that ball through the left side and then um, quarter gets thrown out to play <laughs> – some people said, well, he hit it too hard. He, 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 hit it, he hit it too hard? You kidding me? What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to hit the baseball hard. That's the game. I mean, not, not everybody is, you know, Ichiro Suzuki. You go up there, you swing the bat hard. And it's like I've, 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 some people trip me out too, and I love all you guys that some of y'all give me a headache though. It's like I had a conversation recently. I don't understand why we're always swinging so hard. How much do you turn a 95-mile-per-hour fastball around? I think I've asked you all that on the show before. How, how do you do it? You're just going to put the bat out there where it's going to bunt all the time? It's not that simple. I mean, it's like this isn't Little League Baseball. Oh, we'll just go up there and just kind of take it where it is, you know. Not everybody is a place hitter like Jag Mangum. You go up there looking to hit the baseball. You want to go hit line drives. Line drives turn into home runs. It's not church league softball where everybody's up or dropping your shoulder. You go look mechanically. Like, you look at that ball that LT hit in the gap that was fading away from bench he ran down. He's up, swinging down on the baseball. That's what you want. He's not trying to hit a ground ball. He's just trying to hit a ball hard somewhere, trying to get something in the gap. He did. The guy just made a great play. You go look at that long fly ball that Brad Combus hit the left center. Mechanically, it's, it's nearly flawless. He absolutely cranks on that pitch. Just couldn't get it out of there. It's some thicker air. They just couldn't get it out. But no, you're not going to ask Brad Cumbus, 6'5, 230 pound Brad Cumbus, to go up there and, you know, try to poke a ball the other way. I mean, that's just not the game of baseball. When you face the level of pitchers that we see, that's what you're going to do. It's like everybody thinks, everybody remembers Jake so finally, and we should. Not everybody has that skill set. You know, Jay, Jake's a guy that could spray all over the field. And Jake also, believe it or not, Jake had some power, too. We just didn't always show it here because that was his game. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to hit it where they ain't. Not everybody has the ability to do that. So you go up there and you coach guys to swing hard and hit the baseball hard. 
You don't go up there and alter your swing. Like, like Lamano says, because the wind is blowing in. You don't, you don't do that. Do what you do. You trust your training. It just didn't work out last night. And listen, I get it. Nobody likes losing to Ole Miss worse than I do. But also, I understand the context in this one is that, yeah, this is an RPI boot, uh, de- deficit. There's no doubt around it. It hurts us in the RPI. We don't really have any margin for error here. We've got to go win some ball games. But I'm not going to sit here and just, you know, want to overhaul the program because of the fact we lost the governor's game. I always want to win the game. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, you know, th- there's some offensive deals here. And it's not the way we swing the bat. Our pitch selection sometimes is awful. Can't always get the timely hit. But, no. We want to go up there and hit the baseball hard. We're top ten in home runs in the country. People say, well, you know, Steve, we can't win. We can't score without the home run. Well, the only two runs we scored last night came on a little dribbler. You know, yeah, we can score. You know, we got to get some guys going. We need Cam and Luke to really kind of get back in a rhythm here. LT's swinging it pretty well. Brad's swinging it pretty well. RJ's been kind of up and down here as of late. But uh, we got to go to Missouri and win, win, win two ball games at the very least. We need to go get all three if we can. It would make life a lot easier. We can find a way to go sweep those guys. We're going to preview the Missouri series on Friday. One of the things that I want to point out, too, I think about how important pitching is later in the year. We have been Thursday, Friday, Saturday, two weeks in a row. This week, we transition to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Brandon, Preston, Cade get an extra day's rest this week. You know, Two weeks ago, they went a day short, and they were back on a seven-day rest schedule. This week, they get an extra day. So maybe they'll be a little fresher. Now, the flip side of that is Missouri's coming off a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal, too. And so we might see, you know, some better pitching this weekend from both teams. But, uh, again, we'll preview Missouri in depth on Friday on the Friday show. Uh, but I, I'm confident about the series. I, I'm, I'm more like you guys thinking, okay, we need to win, but that's kind of the bare minimum. In order to really take a step forward, we need to go get three. We need to go get three. That, that should be our mindset is to go up there and get three. Got to be disciplined to plate. Got those strikes. Can't give those guys extra outs. And if you look at their splits in the SEC, Missouri is awful. I mean, they, they really have been. But then you look at the scores and you're like, well, I don't understand it. How are they keeping games down? They don't field it really well. They're just kind of average fielding. Uh, their pitching has not been good. Offensively, they've just been okay. But yet you look up, these games are competitive. That's good coaching. It's interesting. And, again, we'll break all that down on Friday. All right, it's time for, uh, I guess before we get in the top ten list, let's award our prime strength player of the game. we got a couple ways we can go with this, and um, I'm going to go with Cam Tuller. Um, I'm going to go with Cam, and, that, and that's, listen, let's give Mikey Tepper an honorable mention here. He goes four innings, uh, two hits, two runs, and both of those earned four Ks and, uh, and three walks, 73 pitches. The guy, the guy really did a good job for us. Uh, but Cam Tuller, his best outing, I think, in the uniform, three and two-thirds of an inning, one hit, no walks, eight Ks, no runs, one wild pitch. He faces 12, uh, three ground outs, 56 pitches, an outstanding effort from him. So your primeshrimp.com player of the game is Cam Tuller. How about that? Did you expect that coming yesterday? Uh, and good for him. Uh, Prime Shrimp always delivers, always do. They give you a quality product. At a good price, well packaged. And here's the best thing about it. It's like I, I am a person that is really pressed for time. 
And so sometimes I just kind of get something quick and easy. Well, here's something that's great. It's also quick and easy. That's the shrimp from brownshrimp.com. It comes in this very handy pouch. Tail's already off. It's already peeled. It's already deveined. These, these bad boys are ready to cook. So you get home, you boil a pot of water, you drop them in 10 minutes later, boom. You got French Quarter quality shrimp right there in your own living room. It's perfect. Or dining room, wherever you eat. Bedroom, bathroom, I don't care. I won't judge you. The primeshrimp.com makes it easy. That's one of the things that I love about every bit of it. It is just so easy to deal with to get quality products shipped to your door inexpensively. And then they are as advertised and or better. These guys know exactly what they're doing. They've been in the shrimping business forever. Been peeling shrimp since the 1940s. Primeshrimp.com has given a special incentive to Boneyard listeners. They'll save you a little cash on your purchase. Use promo code Boneyard when you go to Primeshrimp.com. And uh, here's the thing. It's a risk-free product. I and mean, how do you get that in life? If you eat something and you don't like it, you get your money back? Simple as that. Simple as that. It's Primeshrimp.com. Uh, the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl may be rising to number one on my personal list. It's, you know, that's a good thing about it is you've got some variety uh, when it comes to the flavors. Again, that's Primeshrimp.com. Promo code Boneyard. Be sure to check it out. I give you a personal endorsement on that one, too. Uh, but again, uh, great effort from the Mississippi State bullpen. You know, it's like, again, you look at that fifth inning, that proves to be the difference in the ballgame. But, you know, maybe the bigger issue here outside of the ballgame, we talk about you want to learn a little something about your team, is that maybe Mikey Tepper and Cam Tuller are going to be able to help us down the stretch. And we need them. We absolutely need them down the stretch, uh, especially Cam being a left-handed guy. But he was outstanding. And uh, we had a chance to talk to him in post-game. I'm going to have an article up later today. Really need those guys. They, they could be the missing pieces in this bullpen. So great, great, great effort from both of those guys. And listen, not let's let's not be remiss here and not mention Drew Talley. And Drew's been kind of up and down a little bit too. Drew with a very great inning there. Uh, one one inning, no hits, no runs, uh, two strikeouts, ten pitches. When Drew is on, he gets it done quick and he's efficient. He gets in there and gets it done. Time for today's uh, top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is my friend. He'll be your friend, too. He is a friend in the industry. It pays to have friends when you're having to navigate through something that maybe you don't have a lot of expertise, and that's like the mortgage industry. There's so many rules. There's so many you know, levels to all of this. It's like you need like a pint of blood, a, a lock of your firstborn's hair, a note from your mom. And there's so many things that underwriters require at times. It pays to have somebody, number one, that can be your advocate to go kind of fight underwriting for you, but also, too, to kind of prepare you for that process and to make sure that it, it is rather stress-free, as stress-free as a mortgage can be. Uh, Blair, go to close at Blair.com. Blair's happy to serve you. This is a mortgage professional, 21 years in the industry. He's not just working for some fly-by-night operation either, not some subprime lender. He works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage lending. Blair, again, CloseToBlair.com. That's where you go to find him. And uh, he wants to kind of keep it in the family, the Boneyard fam. If you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the show, he will pay for your appraisal. How cool is that? There's already so much wood that it's all so intimidating. It's like, hey, let me make it easier for you and a little cheaper for you. Why would you go anywhere else than CloseToBlair.com? It's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. His phone number is 601 500 2344 again 601-500-2344 all right today's top 10 list we didn't do an album ranking on monday because i had some people that hit me up and reminded me we hadn't done white lion so we did that 
A lot of good response to the White Lion list. You guys, the thing that I have learned about you guys is uh, everybody likes a little bit of the, the rock radio stuff. You know, it's like the, the late MTV, you know, the teased up hair. The guys that could actually play a little bit, though. There's some other bands out there that uh, not so much. Uh, but you guys like that MTV era rock. Well, this is a band, too, that kind of predates that, and it's still playing today. It's still producing albums today. It's one of my favorite bands. It's uh, fronted by one of my favorite singers, and that's David Coverdale and Whitesnake. So we're going to rank the top 10 Whitesnake albums today. Now, Friday's top 10 list won't be a Whitesnake list. We'll come up with something else. But uh, Whitesnake is the list today. Now, now, here's the thing I'll tell you, too. Dave Coverdale you know, was the, uh, the lead singer in Deep Purple for a while, did three albums with them. Matter of fact, I released an album a few years ago uh, called The Purple Album. And basically, they went on Whitesnake, re-recorded some of the Deep Purple songs that David Coverdale had a hand in writing. I went to this tour, took Ani with me, my oldest son. We went down to Biloxi and saw Whitesnake in an evening with Whitesnake, which was phenomenal. I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to see Whitesnake again. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes, like you never know when it's your last time, right? That's why I get out and go see all the live music I can. When I, I'm kind of in a funk right now. I just really hadn't been interested in going. But uh, I love being able to go see Whitesnake and share that with my oldest son. That particular year, Ani and I went to 13 shows together. 13. And I asked him at the end of the year, what was your favorite show? He said, Whitesnake. Those guys are real rock stars, and they absolutely are. I've been doing it a long time. I love the new band, too, with Reb Beach of Winker and Joel Hoekstra, formerly of Night Ranger, Tommy Aldridge, of course, on the drums, a uh, bass player that seem, tends to change from time to time. But uh, David's got a good band together. But let's go back to the beginning. You know, Whitesnake, too. People don't know this, but um, David Coverdale's first solo album was called Whitesnake. And then that's when it kind of became, you know, it was David kind of put the band together. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to use his name and they used to always advertise it as David Coverdale's Whitesnake. And then eventually it just became Whitesnake. And David's a real soulful blues-type singer. And um, so they had the EP that came out. And then the very first album, I think, came out in 78, if my research is correct. Uh, the album Trouble. And I have all of these albums somewhere on cassette or CD. I have the entire catalog, with the exception, I guess, of the newest one. But... Uh, but Trouble, you go back and um, there is, you listen to it and it's very, I won't say dated is the right word, but it's very typical, I guess, for the, the era. You even hear like, you even hear like some, some dual guitar, kind of like Leonard Skinner stuff on this album. It's just, it's much different. It's very, very 70s, very. But uh, I, I dig the album. And again, it, it, this is one of those things, too, that uh, it, it was not a huge hit in America yet. It was, it was over in England. And so once we all really got introduced to Whitesnake in the late 80s, we went back and kind of learned more about the, uh, the catalog. Uh, they actually cover a Beatles track on this album, Day Tripper, which was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Um, I could have gone in different ways with here. There are a couple songs on here that are rather, rather interesting. But I went with Don't Don't Mess With Me, which I think is a little more in your face. Take Me With You is a good song, but your number 10 song today is Don't Mess With Me off Whitesnake's Trouble album. Uh, the number nine album for me is the, was a, a controversial album in England at the time because of the cover art. Uh, because there is a, uh, there's a nude woman, a, a cartoon of a nude woman with a snake and... Uh, I, maybe that's one of the reasons they did it, uh, to be controversial and kind of be provocative and get uh, you know, people to to kind of take them um, 
more seriously in some respects. But there was a lot of controversy about the album. And um, they made a big change on this. Like, they had to cover up the album for a while. It's one of those crazy things. But anyway, um, I thought this album was a step forward. I thought Love Hunter, uh, Trouble was good. Love Hunter, I thought, was um, a step forward. I thought, you know, they kind of began to get a little bit heavier, I guess. Uh, Mickey Moody, of course, had been with David forever and a day, ultimately leaves the band uh, right before they really hit it big. But um, I went with a deeper track on this one. Uh, I guess Long Way From Home is uh, was probably the most accomplished or most uh, well-known track. That was the lone single off the album. But I went with Rock and Roll Women. I dig the track. I think it is an underappreciated song. Uh, and I think probably one of the ones in the catalog that people don't know quite as well. So Rock and Roll Women from Love Hunter, your number nine track. I skipped here and went to, I skipped ahead. Number eight is the uh, Come and Get It album, which was actually the fourth album. That's going to be your number eight album. I like the Come and, I, the Come and Get It album. It's, uh, it's not as good as some of the other ones, even though it can't. It, again, this is when, this is the fourth studio album. Things are really kind of coming together here and you're beginning to become more of a rock band again. Uh, I went with Don't Break My Heart Again, which was the lead single off this album. What I Lied to You was also a single, but Don't Break My Heart Again, I think is a, it's a really good track. I like the blues elements and all of it. I think that you'll dig it too. All right, the number seven song on the al- seven album, number seven album on our list, if I can get that right, is Ready and Willing. Now, this to me, and I moved it ahead here, you've got some Deep Purple guys in, in, in the band now. John Lord from Deep Purple's in the band. Uh, Ian Pace is on the drums. And so I think this is a more cohesive sound, which is one of the reasons that I have it as uh, I had to come and get it, even though some of those guys were still around. But I thought Ready and Willing was um, one of the better albums in the earlier part of the catalog. Now, you also get a chance to hear the song Fool for Your Loving for the first time. Now, of course, the version with Steve Vai off Slip of the Tongue is technically much, much better. But I do like kind of the drawn-back blues riff that they use on the original version. And that's we're going to go with that song, Fool for Your Loving, off Ready and Willing, number seven on the list. Number six, we're moving ahead here to Saints and Sinners. This is another album, too, that I think a lot of people kind of got into after the fact. It's a really, really strong album. And here's the thing, too. There are some songs on this album that were covered later that became huge hits. Once they broke into America, they go back into the catalog and they they cover some of these tracks. But uh, Rough and Ready is a great one. Victim of Love is great. And believe it or not, the original version of Here I Go Again is on this album of Saints and Sinners. I went with the original version of Crying in the Rain. Even though I like the 87 version, that's the one for me. I think that is the best song. Dancing Girls is kind of cool too. Uh, but Crying in the Rain, and I wanted to kind of get that on the list anyway. The number six song is Crying in the Rain from Whitesnake's Saints and Sinners album. Now, many of you are unfamiliar with basically what's happened with Whitesnake since maybe the 90s, the early 90s. You know, Dave Coverdale took some time off, and Dave's still out there touring in his 70s, and it is it is amazing to me that Dave is still able to go out there and put on the show that he does. The guy, and he's a great follow on Twitter. He's a little sophomoric at times, too, so I understand, kind of bring your sense of humor, too. But, uh, you know, Whitesnake released a greatest hits album in the 90s and um, released an album in 1997 
and uh, called uh, Russ Was Hard. I really dig the, the album, and some people kind of consider it more of a David Coverdale solo album, but let's be honest, everything with Whitesnake is essentially a David Coverdale solo album. I really dig the album. I thought it took a really solid step into maybe some newer venues in many respects for David. Still true to David Coverdale, but at the same time, too, you know, things were a little bit different. You know, I, th- I thought it was a little more modern. Uh, I really dig the album. Too Many Tears is a great track off this album, too. But I went with this incredible ballad called Can't Go On. I, I think that it is classic David Coverdale. If you're unfamiliar with the track, I think that you'll really dig it. But again, there there's a great track on here called Woman Trouble Blues that uh, sounds a lot like some of the stuff that he did in the Coverdale Page album. But um, I think you'll dig it. And again, this is something that's kind of relatively you know, newer, you know, the Ruffles Heart album. I think you'll enjoy it. I do. There was also an album that didn't make our list called uh, Into, the, Into the Light. That's a David Coverdale solo album as well. And again, he goes back and kind of touches on some things he did early in his careers. And then there's a lot of this, you know, chronological stuff they do. But um, the best recent album from Whitesnake is an album called Flesh and Blood. And uh, it came out in 2021, if memory serves me correct. I have the album. Um, I've got a lot of things from Whitesnake that um, I don't know that other people do. But uh, I really dig the album that... There are a couple different directions I could go here, but I'm going to go with what David Coverdale kind of pushed as the lead single. It's a song called Shut Up and Kiss Me. And uh, I think the guitar on this is true to the old school too, but it's got some modern flair to it. So maybe check that out. So now we're to the top three. A lot of people would say, okay, Steve, these are absolutely the top three albums, the Whitesnake albums, because this is when we were all really in a Whitesnake. And you would say, well, I don't know where I'm going with all this, Steve. Uh, number three for me is the Slip of the Tongue album. I love the album. I do. And I think there are some really high points on the album. I think this is the album where Steve Vai was a lead guitar player. You, you go back, people forget, John Sykes from Tin Lizzy took over uh, for Mickey Moody. And then John Sykes, of course, was a big part of the writing process. And then uh, signed off and wrote most of uh, Slide It In and the self-titled album that came out in 87. Adrian Vandenberg is the guy that was in videos, him and Vivian Campbell. But um, Vivian, of course, ultimately left and went to Def Leppard. But much of the music, as you know and love, was played by John Sykes, who went on to form Blue Murder. John's had a, a very extensive career. But Steve Vai was on the, on the axe here, and the Fool for Your Love and cover is phenomenal. The guitar solo on that is just so incredible. I, I love... Uh, Wings of the Storm, the guitar solo on that is fabulous too. Judgment Day is amazing. Sailing Chips is one of the best ballads David Coverdale's ever had. And there are some times too when I've been low in my life and I can listen to that song and it always makes me feel better. But I went with The Deeper to Love, which I think is um, a great track and again shows kind of the softer side of Whitesnake. It's not always just uh, sophomoric innuendo. Uh, number two, and there were times in my life that you could convince me this was the best Whitesnake album. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. But it's, uh, it's slotted in. And uh, there are a lot of great songs on this album that maybe you're unfamiliar with. If you, let's say for an example, if you, if you know the hits, go listen and slide it in. That is an incredible album, really from start to finish. 
The title track is great. Standing in the Shadows of Love is great. Give me a little more time. It's, it's called Give Me More Time. That That is an underappreciated banger. And then uh, Love Ain't No Stranger is amazing. Spit It Out is good. I mean, really, I mean, there there's not filler on this album. A lot of bands out there have two or three singles, and they just kind of put a bunch of outtakes in there. This is a great album. I think it's the number two album. And again, some days you could convince me it's number one. But our track on this one is uh, Slow and Easy. I think that is near the, the greatest of all the White Snake songs of all time. So we get to the album that everybody knows, which is the uh, self-titled album that came out in 1987. For many people, it was their first introduction to Whitesnake. And little did they know that it was uh, going to be one of the greatest rock albums of all time in many respects. I guess last I looked over, over eight, approaching nine million copies in the United States alone. It's incredible to think about that. And of course, this is a time too when uh, the record industry was trying to basically control and push this stupid pop stuff. Um, but Whitesnake's self-titled album is uh, number was a number two Billboard album for ten consecutive for ten weeks, and the only th- the, the the thing that kept them out was Michael Jackson's Bad. That's pretty good company to be in there. Uh, but again, there's some covers on here too. Um, here I go again as a cover of their own album of their own work. Uh, Give me all your love is incredible. I love that song. Give me all your love tonight is that that is one of the best White Snake songs. But I couldn't go, um, I couldn't go along with that for the number one song. And I know many people are thinking he's going to go with Here I Go Again, and I'm not. I'm not because I'm a rocker. I love the song. It got a little overplayed at times, but um, I went with the, the title track, the lead track. Excuse me. It's still the night in honor of Landon Sims. Still the night, an amazing rock song gets people on their feet. At four singles off this album, Still Tonight, Here I Go Again, Is This Love, and Give Me All Your Love Tonight. Uh, I love those songs. I still listen to them. I bought the uh, 30-year anniversary reissued box set, and I have, of course, they give you the free download, but I have this wonderful thing. There's all these uh, great add-ons that uh, David gives you when you buy the stuff, and um, but I have it. I don't listen to the CDs. They're just kind of sitting up on my shelf in my collection. But uh, I'm a huge Whitesnake fan, and uh, if you're not, you should be. And a lot of people, a lot of people know the hits, but uh, maybe after today, you get a little deeper dive into that Whitesnake catalog. Again, I believe David Coverdale is the best blues singer of my generation, uh, and I mean that with most sincerity as I possibly can. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. And you can send them to Roy, who keeps the list together, at Dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And uh, he puts these nifty lists on Spotify. And Izzy Mandelbaum helps us out when he can, puts these things on Apple Music. But um, I know a lot of people just kind of want to know how they're ranked. Maybe you already have it downloaded. But uh, I have a lot of people that hit me up and say, you know, Steve, when I get out and work in the yard... I put these lists on. I'm always looking for a playlist and looking for new tunes since I put these on. And I appreciate you doing that because I'm sharing the gift of music with you. So so there we go. Our next segment of the show brought to you by the friends at uh, Campus Bookmart. Uh, Stan Ray is no longer with us as a participant at Campus Bookmart, still with us as a friend and as a bulldog. Be sure and uh, and come by and check out Campus Bookmart. I, I love Campus Bookmart. And, and I'd be honest with you, you know, prior to them advertising for the show, I was kind of unfamiliar with them. You know, I just, it wasn't in, on, my, on my game day route. Well, then all of a sudden, I go by there and check them out and want to talk to Stan. And it's like, hey, this is what we want to do. And it's been a great thing for everybody. 
Uh, there are a lot of people that have said, Steve, I'd never been in there before until they became a Boneyard advertiser. Now that's where I go and get my Mississippi State merch. And you should. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's talk about what may be going on in college athletics here soon. So maybe you're aware of uh, Ross Dellinger. You know, Ross Dellinger, Mississippi State guy, covered LSU for a long time. Uh, Ross does a great job. Ross is a guy that's got impeccable sourcing. It's very rare that Ross doesn't have an idea of what's kind of happening in college athletics. He's well ahead of some stories. And so when Ross writes about potential change within the NCAA format, I pay attention because clearly he has gotten a tip from somebody that has some insight and they're willing to share that with him. And Ross being a man of the Bulldog people shares it with us. Got some spectacular job. I'm a big Ross Dellinger fan. I don't always agree with him, but there is no doubt when it comes to national college athletics that Ross Dellinger is among the best, the best sourced in the, the industry of journalism. There's no question about it. So there is this 21-member transformation committee that is proposing a lot of changes, and there's a lot of talk behind the scenes in college baseball and, and people kind of crossing their fingers and holding their breath that we're about to kind of modernize the scholarship approach when it comes to college baseball. And so one of the things that's being pushed here is it removing scholarship limitations for baseball. Now, you'd have to do it for softball, too, to make sure there's a Title IX equivalency, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm completely in favor of that, 100%. But it's not just about fully funding baseball. There are a couple other things that they're suggesting one of the things that impacts you on the football side, and I think this is absolutely the right decision, absolutely the right decision. You know, we, you know how this past year we've had, you know, we had the uh, the one year deal where, oh well, we're going to let everybody oversign to offset the losses in the transfer portal. Well, that's not sustainable because you're going to do it every two or three years. So what they're proposing is we're going to abolish the 25 annual limit. You can say, well, Steve, then Alabama will just go sign 100 players. Nope. Nope. You can sign as many as you want, but you've got to stay at 85. So it's like, say for an example, let's say you have 20 guys graduate and you have four guys hit the portal and five guys go pro. Well, then you can go out and sign 29 players to get back to 85. To me, this makes too much sense not to do it. As long as a team is at 85, there's no point in scapping the scholarships. And let's be honest, it's kind of a lose cap anyway in many respects. It is because you're always worried about the 85 because, you know, a lot of times you can back count some guys. If you've got some, some spots available, you can count some guys back to last year. that signed in December. You can count some guys forward. There is a lot of ebb and flow with all this already. So let's just go ahead and remove the dance. And so here's the deal. You got to be on 80, under 85 every year when you start fall camp. And there's got to be some there's got to be some parameters in here too just to keep people from trading out, right? So like 
you can't just process guys out and let's go sign 40 kids. You know, there's probably got to be, you know, some sense of oversight there to prevent that from happening. So student athletes aren't just flushed out of a scholarship opportunity after they've been there and worked for a couple of years. There's already some penalties in place for that already. Uh, go back and ask Alabama baseball um, prior to Bohannon. Um, but that, to me, makes perfect sense because the way the portal is working – there are a lot of teams out there that are going to constantly be at a deficit from a scholarship standpoint. Now, you only play usually 60, 65 players a game, but you got to have guys that run your scout team. you got to have some developmental guys and give some young guys some opportunities to get reps and practice and develop. So we know with graduation and normal attrition and the fact that it is so easy to transfer now, that there is going to be a bit of a revolving door. And, you know, let's say you have a coaching change at a place, let's say like, you know, Louisiana Monroe. And those guys like, ah, no, nah, I'm not sticking around for this. So I'm going to hit the portal. And let's say, you know, you had 25 graduate and you got 10 guys hit the portal and then uh, you have a couple guys get hurt. You know, well, you could be down 35 scholarships and then you could only replenish 25. So it, it, it could become basically one of these deals where – you get on this treadmill of sorts and you're never able to get caught up. So this enables everybody to stay caught up and be at 85 every single year if they choose. It makes perfect sense to me. It does. It's the right way to go about it. And let's say you're a coach and you come in here and it's like, hey, I got I to clean up this program and I got a bunch of bad actors. And so we're going to go out here and we're going to drug test everybody and I'm not going to put up with any repeat offenders. And then the second round of testing, I find out I got a bunch of guys that are out here doing things they shouldn't do. They're not committed to college football or college athletics. And so we're going to dismiss them from the team. Like well, I still got to have some guys replace them. And so now you kind of have the ability to do it. And I think in many ways, it kind of removes the situation of people being able to hold you hostage. I think now you can have some true level of accountability. If I can, if I can run this player off for negative behavior and replace him with somebody else, I'm a little more likely to do that. I'm a little more likely to enforce the rules when I know that I can replace a bad actor with somebody that's going to come in here and appreciate the opportunity. So I think in that respect, the transfer portal can be used in a very good way. Now, what's interesting, too, is uh, Greg Sankey is very involved in all this. And if you, you guys are fans of Greg Sankey, I am. I think we got to do more with officiating. But, uh, you know, Greg's ideas about the advancement of college athletics and the SEC – are perhaps the best we've had in my lifetime. Yeah, I go back, you know, Roy Kramer obviously was the guy that, uh, you know, brought the SEC championship game to life. But, uh, you know, Greg is the guy that's been a great advocate for, for the SEC and has done some uh, revolutionary things in many respects. So the fact that he is involved in all this makes perfect sense. And I think there are a lot of people that are going to go along with what the SEC wants but you also have uh, Julie Cromer, who is the AD from Ohio. So now you have some G5 representation. So where I think this impacts college baseball is think about this for a second. Mississippi State is the defending NAFL champions. Mississippi State has the best facility in college baseball. Mississippi State sets all the attendance records. Mississippi State is committed to college baseball. There is, let's just say, few schools anywhere close that have made the same level of commitment to college baseball as Mississippi State historically. I think we can all agree on that. 
And whether you may say this stadium is better, I mean, you're wrong. But even if you say that, there's no arguing that Mississippi State has made college baseball a significant priority in its athletic funding, uh, in its uh, fan interest. You know, we're a baseball school. I know we like hearing that, but we are. We're a baseball school that loves football, but we are a baseball school. So when Mississippi State votes, we get one vote. And then you have Mississippi Valley State that is also a Division I baseball program. And this is in no way a shot at Valley. But they began playing baseball in 1975. We began playing in 1885. It's very difficult for those guys to get funding. Well, their vote counts the same as our vote. And then you've got Monmouth. Their vote counts the same as our vote. Now, and we, I go back to last summer when we were having a big discussion about paying the third assistant. Now, the rule was not going to be you have to pay your third assistant coach. The rule was you now have the ability to pay your third assistant coach. You're not required to do it, but you're now allowed to do it, which for us is Kyle Cheesebro, right? And you know, Usually you funded that guy's salary through the summer camp, so we hadn't been able to have many of those, right? Remember COVID 2020? Remember that? So what happened is there were a lot of people that were on board. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Well, then some non-baseball conferences are like, nah, we're not doing this because the gap is going to get even wider. Now we're not going to be able to keep coaches because now the, you know, the Mississippi States and the North Carolinas of the world, they're going to be able to pay four coaches and we can only afford to pay three and we're struggling to do that. I'm never going to be able to get a volunteer assistant coach because every time I get somebody, they're going to pluck him. Well, you know what? That's good. That's what should happen. You shouldn't have free labor. You should have to pay them. You should be able to pay them. But that referendum was basically shot down because some non-baseball people were like, I'm not going to write another check for baseball. And so rather than them just saying, hey, listen, I'm going to sign off on this. We're not going to pay. Hey, coach, we're not going to pay your third assistant. But we're not going to stand in the way of the advancement of the game of college baseball. No, it was very self-serving. It's like, no, we're not going to do this. And we're not going to help the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC. We're not going to allow those guys to get farther away from us. But see, here's what's happening. Is with the SEC network money, with these ridiculous ESP and TV deals that we're now reaping the benefits from, the gap is already there. You're never going to make it up. Ever. No matter what you do, no matter what kind of capital fundraising drive you have, you're never going to make up the gap. And so the best thing for us to do, and I'm, I said this on Twitter today, we need two divisions in college baseball. Like we have for college football. I don't know if you guys know this too. Like football, and football is a division one football is a head counter sport, right? So if you play FBS football, you get everything paid for. It's an equivalency sport at the FCS level. And so, like schools like Jackson State, they can pay partial scholarships. They don't have to pay 100%. A lot of times, too, that they get creative. They use Pell Grants and things like that uh, to help guys be able to pay for school. So, why can't we do that in college baseball? If the disparity between the haves and the have-nots is getting greater, 
And it is from a financial standpoint. And that's not going to stop a school like Fresno State or Coastal Carolina from every once in a while putting a team together and making a magical run. But you've heard me say on the show before, like a good example, like Jackson State last year. We talked about this not too long ago. Jackson State had a phenomenal baseball season last year. Phenomenal. And then they are upset by a losing team in the SWAC tournament championship game, and they go nowhere. There's nowhere to put those guys. Because their RPI is so bad, they're not going to make an at-large bid. And so Southern University goes to the tournament, goes out to Austin. They get beat, and they come home. Great for them. So why would it hurt us to have two divisions? And didn't you give those schools something to play for? So all the schools out there that don't want to fully fund baseball, then they can have their own division. Say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to operate under the old format, and we're going to stick with 11.7. And uh, we're not going to pay our third assistant coach. And, you know, we're not going to spend any money on baseball. We're going to fill the team because it's kind of a requirement of the NCAA. And, uh, hey, we'll get out here and play. And then you never know. Maybe we'll win something. Do you think the, uh, you know, the, the directional schools of Louisiana, you think Northwestern State, which is a, a pretty rich baseball tradition for a, uh, you know, for a, a G5 program, you know, people forget Mike Bianco was an assistant coach there. John Cohen was the head coach there. Jim Wells, Dave Van Horn. I mean, you've had some great guys go through there, right? Those guys have no chance of winning an NCAA regional. Zero. Zero. There's always some historic team that puts together and makes it to like a regional final. And you're like, oh, they have the one shot away, you know. But what if we gave those guys something to play for? It's like, hey, you know what? Hey, here's the deal. You can go there and play. And you still have a championship. We do it in every other level, right? I mean, look look how many levels of football we have. You got Division One, you got F, you got FCS, you got D two, you got D three. You know, you got NAI. You know, it's a different division. It's a different governing body. My point being is that wh- why do we insist that everybody has to play by the same rules in college baseball when it comes to funding? And that's not to say we can't play those schools. We can. You can still schedule them. Just like you can in football. But in order for the rest of us to really enjoy college baseball, I mean, like Mississippi State is inhibited in many respects because of the current funding structure. And, yeah, we can get creative. We can use some academic scholarships, and we can use some leadership scholarships and that kind of stuff to kind of put some things together for some guys. But uh, the reality of it is, is when you look up the road and you see what, uh, you know, what we, some of me and my friends call the NBA, you know, when you got Michigan and uh, Stanford to a certain extent and Vanderbilt out here playing by a different set of rules than the rest of us, well, this gives us an opportunity to level the playing field. So if we can go ahead and give everybody 100% scholarships, what do you think happens to Vanderbilt baseball? Well, let me tell you what happens to it. Vanderbilt baseball gets to be pretty average. You've seen their facilities? He said, well, see, we've got tradition. What's all recent? Little, I bet you didn't know that Vanderbilt has the second lowest winning percentage in the, in the history of the Southeastern Conference in college baseball. Let's not get caught up in recency bias. But, you know, one of the things, too, that I am a proponent of, too, is, uh, you know, I, I, I like the fact that um, you've got so many student athletes out there that are trying to play college baseball and so let's make it easier for them to do so. There were a lot of young players, and like in our state especially, and uh, my son played with a lot of these guys in high school, travel ball, and that kind of stuff, that 
they know that college baseball is not a reality for them, and it's got nothing to do with their talent. It's a matter of financial resources. And so like, hey, well, I would go play, but my parents can't make up the difference. It's a partial scholarship. They're paying me a third. I, hey, I got a scholarship to go, you know, go, go play at Louisiana Lafayette, but my parents can't pay the difference. I can get a Pell Grant, so it doesn't make up the difference. I just don't have the money to go do it. So basically what we're saying, without really saying it, is that, hey, if you can play football and basketball, which are revenue-producing sports, uh, then we're going to pay for your education. But just because you excel at another sport, even if you're at the top of your class, we're, we're not going to do it. And so I think there are some schools out there that have the ability to do that. And so you want more diversity in baseball? Fully fun baseball. Simple as that. I've I know several players over the years that say, you know, I would have loved to have been able to go play college baseball. I would have loved to have been able to go play at Mississippi State. I would have loved to have been able to go play at Old Miss, Southern Miss, wherever. But I had to do this for my family. And then, uh, and then they get all bent out of shape because this is what I have to do. It may not have been what I wanted to do, but this is what I have to do because I think it's for the betterment of my family. Whereas we could give those guys an opportunity to go play college baseball and have the opportunity to mature and develop and get a college education. Because there are a lot of guys out there in pro baseball that want to get these guys, of course, as cheaply as possible. It is a business, right? You want to get the best player for as cheaply as possible. And so they take advantage of these kids. It's like, hey, you know, hey, you, Mr. Joe, somebody that's never had anything, hey, we're going to sign you, you know, for $50,000, and we'll put you in the minors, and we'll feed you and take care of you and that sort of stuff. Well, that kid's never had anything, and $50,000 seems like half a million. Well, my mama could use this. You know, I'm going to buy my mom a house. You know, it doesn't work that way. And so I think that's one of the things you look at. If we want to advance the college game, we want to advance college athletics, I think you got to fully fund college baseball and softball. I think that's the only way to be fair about it, obviously. But uh, remove those uh, limitations. Maybe you've got roster limits or whatever, but you can fully fund as many scholarships as you want. And I think that is a great thing for Mississippi State. It's great. And I think on the football side, it's too, because we're going to have guys transfer. You know? And so if you have the ability to make that up in the same calendar year, I think that provides a little more stability. Because the transfer portal is a mess. And I've shared with you guys before, we need to be in a situation, too, where we have portal opening dates and ending dates, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, it shouldn't be 365 days of the year. That's just craziness. That doesn't happen in pro sports. Doesn't happen in high school sports, but now all of a sudden in college, it's like, oh, you know, you can do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. Shouldn't be that way. I mean, they can't leave mid-semester anyway, right? So let's do it. Let's do it at the end of the semester. Open it up for six weeks. Boom, move on. Because a coach has got to know what he has available to him. He does. So Ross, and you can find his article. Go follow Ross on Twitter, and uh, you can find that it's a 21-member committee. Uh, don't know when these things will be enacted, but I think really for the first time in a long time, we're having some very meaningful conversations about college baseball and kind of restructuring college baseball. Because it's just not right. It's just absolutely not right that the Akron Zips, they have the same voting power as the defending national champions. All due respect to the Zips. There just shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. The, the people that actually are committed to college baseball should be making the decisions about college baseball. 
not the people that hate even writing a check for college baseball. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys know Brooks Bryan. That's a guy that's got a got to say about college baseball. Guy's got some strong opinions. He knows what it's like. I respect those guys, man. That's a fraternity that we're not a part of, right? So, Brooks, I'm going to give you the cell number first. We'll change it up today. Brooks' cell number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks, part of a great group of guys that are bringing uh, a great residential development right here to the greater Starkville area. A lot of greats in there. Great, great, great. If I was moving to Starkville, I would move to that great community too. It is 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, conveniently located off of Highway 80, uh, off 12. You take the turn off 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You probably always wondered where that road takes you. Takes you home. How about that? And you're on the quiet side of campus. That's one of the things I would love about being there. It's being the convenience of being close to campus and then being able to get right back and I have to fight all the traffic and that kind of stuff. And you got to wonder about where to eat. And there's lines at the gas station, that kind of stuff. Just have a place here. Maybe it's your primary residence, which it would be for me. Or maybe you just want to have like a second home here, perhaps a, a retirement home here. And Starbucks is a great place to live. It really is. I, I didn't know that until I moved up here full time. It's one thing to be here on game day. It's a different crowd. You know, but I can go to some of my favorite places and hang out. And, and uh, you know, people know me here. You know, and so they'll know you too. It's a great community. And everywhere you go, everybody's wearing maroon. Every so often, we'll see an interloper out there. But, uh, you know, by and large, it's, uh, it's our people. But uh, even if Mississippi State wasn't here, it's a great place to live. It's very quiet here. It's a great community. And uh, Portico gives you an opportunity to come be our neighbor. We'd love for that to happen. Call Brooks today. You can have a say in perhaps what your, your lot looks like. You can have a say in what your house looks like. You know, they're in the middle of constructing Phase 2 now. Phase 1 is completely sold out. Your new neighbor is already here enjoying life. Come join them today. Make Portico your next move. All right, so a little more information. I have been on phones here the last couple of days. Uh, we'll talk some about recruiting here. Uh, you know, we've got a couple of transfer spots left. Now, here's what I'm told. Mississippi State is not really pigeonholed into positions for these last couple spots. What they're going to do is let's see what comes available because, you know, May 1st is the deadline, right? May 1st is the deadline for guys to go into the portal and be eligible to play this year. Now, we can't go take SEC guys unless they're grad transfers, unless they're willing to sit. And that didn't really help us, right? We need to find a couple guys that can make us a better team this year. And so what I'm told is, is that State is basically going to wait about a week here see the new entrance into the portal, and then go hard after them. And in the month of May, we're going to be going like crazy to go get the two best players available that make us a better football team this year. And they'll be here in June. So we're looking at some offensive tackle prospects. Based on what I've seen and heard, not been a lot of uh, guys that I think could come in here and contribute. This year is a tackle prospect. So maybe you don't go that route. You know, you don't just want to go sign a guy to sign a guy. We're not going to go sign a guy that's just going to be a, you know, a second or third teamer as a senior. You know, you got to go get somebody that either has some years or has the ability to help you right now. 
So we may not take a tackle. We may not. We talked about it, but we may not. You know, Dollar Bill's doing a pretty good job. You know, he's been able to compete some at left tackle. You know, Percy Lewis still kind of getting up to speed. But you may not take that guy. You're not going to take a running back, you know, unless something just ridiculously crazy happens. And why would another running back want to come here as a veteran when you've got Woody Marks and Dylan Johnson that's already got two and a half years of experience ahead of you? This doesn't make a lot of sense there. Now, do you could take a receiver? Yeah, you might take a receiver if you can get a difference maker. If you can get a difference maker and get that guy up to speed, you go take that guy. But I suspect unless a difference maker emerges, a receiver, or perhaps, you know, a potential too deep or a tackle emerges, I think we may end up spending both of these spots on defense. Could be. Could be. That's just my opinion today. It may change tomorrow. And, again, a lot of it's going to depend on what's available in the portal. You know, they have mined this portal and watched film and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, you know, for the better part of two months now. And you, you go out and you, you, add, you add one guy, you know, so you're still kind of working through it. You know, watching this group play, and I mentioned uh, linebackers the other day, I think our first team backer is going to be really good. I think Deshaun Page is going to be really good. That's a guy that's going to get a lot of reps for us too. Outside of that, I'm not so sure. I think Nick Mitchell is a guy that, that could help us. Um, but it would probably behoove us, if we could, to go get a guy, a linebacker. At the very least, come here and be a two-deeper for us, play special teams and uh, you know, save some wear and tear on some guys. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when you begin to kind of look through this thing, too, it's like people, people forget Ty Wheat's a backer, too. You know, I know he lines up over there kind of in a rushing position, but he's a linebacker, too. You know. uh, so when you begin to kind of work through this, you feel really good about that first-team unit. You really do. If you can find a guy out there that can bring value at linebacker, I think you go take that guy. And that's not to say that anybody said, hey, we've got to go get a backer. I think if you can find a guy out there, maybe a younger guy, maybe he's got a year or two under his belt that can come in here and be a two-deeper this year and perhaps a starter next year, it makes perfect sense. I think the depth at corner is outstanding. That's one of the reasons we moved William Hardrick wide receiver. Maybe you didn't know. We did. But you start thinking about this, too. You know, last couple of years, it's basically kind of been Martin Emerson and Emmanuel Forbes and then kind of hope nobody got hurt. You know, DeCamrion has made uh, some strides, and Darcel McBath tells me that he has, he has probably advanced beyond what we expected this spring. You know, he has really come on, and has been the guy we'd hoped he would be. Asias Furge is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, just, just, you can't run him off. You know, he's just one of these guys that kind of keeps hanging in there, kind of making things happen. You know, he's not going to be a starter for us, but he can be a solid reserve, be a guy that helps you on special teams. And, and last year, I was very impressed when he got on the field, a guy played really hard. He wants to be here. And in order to be a second teamer, you know, there are a lot of guys out there that are going to leave just to go play, but Asias Furge wants to be at Mississippi State. I respect it. DeCarlos Nicholson. Has come in, done a good job. Marcus Banks come in, done a good job. So now all of a sudden you, you go from basically having, you know, two and a half, three corners. You start looking now, you're like, well, wait a minute now. And now you, you basically got a three deep at corners. You don't need anybody at corner. You might even shift somebody over to safety at some points in some packages. 
you got some numbers at safety, but I still think you, if you had one more guy, if you could find a difference maker at safety, you would. You know, Jackie Matthews has come and done a good job for us. You could find one more, you'd feel really good about that. But uh, the good thing is, is I don't think whoever you get, you're not dependent on them to play. You want them to come in here and help you be a better football team, and really from a depth standpoint. But the chances of finding a starter at this late juncture are pretty slim. Not to mention, they miss spring practice, you know, so you're not going to see a lot of people show up at this late point and get in. And a lot of those guys, too, just want to first start at this point in their careers. I mean, short of being a grad transfer, guys are transferring at this point because they went through spring practice, did not earn a job on the two deep or perhaps a starting job, and they said, you know what, I'm not going to play here, so I'm going to go somewhere else. So uh, it's not about teaching them anything. It's about, hey, these are the guys that are available for us. This is the needs that we have, and let's go pursue this guy. And so, again, not a lot of value in the portal at this point, but you could get a young guy with some years to play, you know, which is what you got with Hunter. You guys got four years to play. He transfers in from Florida State after a redshirt year. He's got four years to play. You know, so, again, there are some guys out there that I think could come in and make us a better team. But I think the right approach is the one that I'm hearing Mississippi State's going to have, and that's, you know what, we're going to look for the best available guy at a position of need for us. We're not going to go in thinking, okay, this is what we absolutely have to have. They're going to be open-minded because you never know when somebody may pop in the portal. There may be a guy that you always wanted, maybe a guy you recruited very hard that ends up going in the portal, and you, you need to be able to kind of shift on the move. And so I think that's kind of where we are with this thing. And so – Again, basically everything that we've said about the transfer portal in these final couple of spots, kind of up in the air right now. Kind of up in the air. I, I firmly believe what's going to happen is they're just going to wait a few days, see the new names that go in, and then prioritize the guys that they've been recruiting compared to what they're looking at now. Reach out because you've got a month to figure it out, right? They, get, they go in by May 1st and they can enroll in June. You know, A lot of guys are going to be getting ready to graduate. And so it's a fluid process. So all of a sudden, if you look up here at, you know, a couple of weeks and states added a wide receiver transfer, don't be like, but Steve, no, that's certainly possible. Might even be probable at this point. When you look at the rest of it and say, but Steve, we wouldn't got this guy. Hey, at this point, you just got to go get, get what makes you a better football team. No question about it. And again, that's the positive side of the portal. Will there be some other guys leave Mississippi State? Maybe so. Maybe. I'm not surprised either way. It's like it seems like every time a walk-on goes in the portal, uh, people want to make a big deal out of it, you know. And again, it's not that we don't appreciate their contributions to Mississippi State, but there's a reason they're moving on. And I think it's important to kind of look at things in a proper context. All right, let's get ready to get out of here. The uh, I will be at uh, Laurel I Books this Saturday. I think I've told you guys this before. Be at the down for a, a book signing. Saturday, so I'm going to miss the uh, the trip to Missouri, which I, I'm I'm disappointed about to be honest with you. I was looking forward to going up there and covering uh, baseball. I never covered baseball, I've covered football there before, but that's the reality of it. So <clears throat> Saturday, April 30th, Lorelei Books in Vicksburg from one to three, one to three. So if you're in Vicksburg, come out and check me out, and um, I'll be keeping up with the game there while we're there. But um, we'll probably go find somewhere to go Friday night to. Uh, to enjoy the game. Maybe we go back to Hobie's. We'll have a good time. But um, this Saturday, if you're looking for books, come to Lorelei Books. Uh, they're in Vicksburg. I'm a big proponent of Mississippi's independent bookstores. 
That's one of the reasons that I do so many events there. We always push our books to be staffed there because I want to support them. It's kind of a Mississippi first mentality with me. Uh, So if you are ordering, I would encourage you to order from a Mississippi bookstore or vendor that carries the books. But uh, if you can't do that, go visit us at dogpiledbook.com. You can get copies of Dogpile, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains right there, a one-stop shop. And pick up that turkey book, too. I know that many of you have turkey hunters in your life. I didn't write the turkey book, but uh, we I agreed to host it on the website. That uh, Poor guy died, man, before the book came out. And so Father's Day is coming up. Maybe you've got turkey hunters in your family that would like to learn more about turkey hunting. And that's kind of what this is about. So go be sure and check that out. But um, if you're looking for Wombs of Oleander, you can find that also, too, at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com, and through your local bookstore. But uh, we'll get back on Friday. And uh, we will begin to kind of prepare for this road trip to Missouri. I'm optimistic about the trip. I'm not overconfident about the trip because I know that we're capable of going up there not playing well. And those guys have played much better at home. It's tough to win on the SEC road. But if we're really serious about making a run at this thing, we need to go get a sweep. At the very least, we got to get a a winning series because if we're going to go into that weekend with Tennessee thinking – Hey, we can probably win a game or two. We're kidding ourselves. we got to strike while the iron is hot, and that's go right now. If we can go get three at Missouri this weekend, that makes life a whole lot easier for us, a whole lot easier for us. But the, very, the bare minimum is we got to get two out of three. But I'm like all of you, I'm hoping for a sweep, absolutely hoping for a sweep. And you know, you're playing the last-place team in the SEC, and, and you can talk yourself into anything. But, um, you know, some good teams have gone in there and played Missouri and come home with a loss. Maybe they've won the series. But we just we can't absorb another unexpected loss. We just can't. We absolutely can't. Unless we're going to go out there and win the SEC tournament, which I don't think we got the pitching to do, right? So we got to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. We really put ourselves in a difficult spot. So we'll break down the Missouri Tigers on Friday. We'll look around the SEC. And before we go, I guess let me, let me do that real quick here. Let me give you a rundown of last night's scores. I forgot to do that earlier. I mean, real quickly here. Uh, Georgia, 16-1 winners over Georgia State. Kentucky, 12-1 winners over Dayton. Tennessee, 10-1 winners over Xavier. Pretty dominant uh, by the East last night. Uh, Auburn on the road to Jacksonville State. Wins 8-4. Alabama beats Sanford at their place 9-3. Of course, Ole Miss beats us 5-2. Arkansas hangs on to beat Central Arkansas 2-1. to one. Strike it up. Uh, Missouri State beats Missouri 3-2. to two. Pretty crazy ninth inning there. Uh, Missouri State scores three in the ninth to win the game. And UNO beats LSU 9-4. Now, there are no games tonight. But before we are together again, uh, there will be a couple of SEC series, that get under, SEC series that get underway. Alabama will open at South Carolina on Thursday and Texas A&M at Vanderbilt on Thursday. Both of those could be awfully interesting. And it's like you look at this A&M Vanderbilt thing, you know, we're, we're kind of similarly situated with those guys, kind of like Alabama, South Carolina's behind us. But, uh, you know, it's difficult to know your rooting interest at this point. We just got to keep winning. We just got to keep winning, simple as that. And, uh, of course, we'll preview the rest of the weekend on Friday. Look forward to being with you guys then. Until then, have an amazing week and rep some maroon wherever you go. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly 
an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.